You'll know when you have a wild woman. She'll practice her craft without boundaries. She is truly autonomous. Her loyalty is only to the family she serves, a midwife who will not allow herself to be held back by a system she didn't create. This podcast is for the birth keepers who want to grow and change. We're open to learning through self-reflection and supportive community. We are creating this space to explore without judgment. We are remembering we were born wild. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Born Wild podcast. Um, It's just me today, Sophia, and I have with me Amana, and I'm really excited to hear about her journey. Um, She has some stories of loss she wants to share, um, and she's also a radical birth keeper. Um, So hi, Amana, and can you just start at whatever the beginning is for you on your um, journey into motherhood and birth work um, and maybe introduce yourself and your family. Yeah, hello, thank you for having me. My name is Amana Mayfield Faulkner and I live in Spokane, Washington and I have two living children, Odin who is almost five and Charlotte is one and a half and I live with my husband and our kids and our two dogs and Yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a mom, always, always. Um, But I did not know that like death would also be Mm -hmm. such a, you know, important piece to my life. I am a Scorpio. Mm -hmm. uh, So I am definitely comfortable in it at this point in my life. But uh, yeah, I always knew I was passionate about birth and moms. And I'm both a birth keeper and a death keeper. I've attended more births and deaths. I've seen more first breaths and last breaths than I can count or fully remember. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like, you know, I've just come to this place of acknowledging that we can't have one without the other and they're always interconnected and um, that they're both sacred and beautiful. And I hold space for those periods of passing and transition for other people mm-hmm. and have also experienced them myself. Um, it's going to be such an important um, podcast episode because as well, one, just as our culture, it's just not okay. Death is not okay. Like even if you're older, maybe it's like a little bit okay, but it's still just this huge, huge grieving process. And a lot of times we miss out on the celebration because of it. Um, too. But so I'm really excited to hear about your stories. And, um, and yeah, a lot of people that is the last thing they want to think about when they're pregnant is the Mm -hmm. idea of death, you Mm -hmm. know, and in, you know, the system, we do everything in our power to prevent this, you know. Um, And so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to hear about you, you and your journey. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, my, the, my first big experience was death. I was in my, with death was in my twenties. Um, my first love Bjorn, he was diagnosed with a blood cancer and he died when he was 26 and I was 25 at the time. And I was present with him. And again, it's that, like you said, we don't really acknowledge death in our culture and we can accept it maybe a little more when we're 
older, but like a lot older, you know, twenties was still like the sort of invisible age. And so that was that like his death continues to have a big impact on me and did have a huge impact on me at that point in my life when most of my peers around me, you know, didn't really understand they hadn't experienced that same closeness to death, you know, like witnessing a person die that you love at that age. For me, that was really, really big. Mm -hmm. And I went through this whole period of, you know, I mean, grief never totally ends. But I went through a really deep part of grief and feeling like, you know, part of me didn't want to continue to live after he was gone, but then also embracing life in a new way, knowing that he wanted to live. And I was, you know, having this opportunity to continue to live. And so it has just brought um, a real depth to my experiences from that moment forward in my life. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really intense. And that's such like a pivotal age too. Like you said, you're almost a little bit invincible at that age too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that shook you. Yeah. And then, um, we can move forward to, yes, I always wanted to be a mom, like was taking care of all the other, you know, babies around. And I got to my thirties and I hadn't found my, you know, man that I was going to have babies with. And, um, I, called in my soul flame. I did a 40 day ritual and called him in and we connected and right away, like in the first conversation, it was, do you have kids? Do you want kids? Then it was like, no, I don't have kids. Yes. I want kids. And <laughs> like, let's get to the chase. <laughs> yes. We were both like, okay, you know, this is it, you know, in my ritual, I had said, you know, let us recognize without a shadow of a doubt when we see each other that like we are each other's soul flames and it was definitely that sort of magic <laughs> and- I've already had like I feel like I'm in constant state of goosebumps <laughs> like yeah <laughs> Good, good. Yeah. So yes, yes, it was definitely that like, yeah, those truth bumps, they were for sure there. And he proposed within two weeks, we got married. Oh, sorry, you're cutting out a little bit. Oh, I can still hear you. You're good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He proposed within two weeks and we were planning a wedding and we were open to conception and the first time making love being open to conception, we were um, at the riverside in the moonlight. And, you know, we didn't conceive that time, but we just continued to be open to calling in our soul babies. And then I did get pregnant and I was so excited. I had been attending births for several years at that point and had witnessed many women <clears throat> transition from maiden into motherhood. So how did you initially the- get into birth work? Yeah. So initially I was going to nursing school in a place called Wenatchee, Washington. Mm-hmm. And I had, it was a smaller town. And I had, when I first moved there, I would drove on one of the main drags and saw that there was a midwifery like clinic house place. And I was like, Ooh, I hope I want to like connect with them and see if I can assist in some way. And then it turned out one of the girls in my class she was a midwife's assistant and she said they needed more people. And I was like, Oh, I want to do that. So mm-hmm. I got in contact with them and did the training to do that and started attending births and they did birth center and home births. 
Cool, cool. So how long did you did the, do that before you became pregnant? Maybe four years. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I was pregnant and so excited for this process. I'd wanted to be pregnant. I knew so much, like definitely like birth nut, like knew more than the average person about birth and physiology and all the things. And then I started bleeding at around six weeks and had an early birth. And I was just like, so sad you know, even at six weeks, I was super attached to this little woomling and, you know, being a mother was something I wanted to do my whole life. And so to have this be my first experience kind of like brought in this doubt and self-blame that I had for, you know, it continues on in my, in my motherhood journey, but I got through that experience honoring that baby and then also just like, you know, okay, like welcoming in the next spirit baby, whether it was that spirit returning or a new spirit. And then I, we did conceive again. And yeah, my husband and I created a little altar together and would sit there and really spoke to our babies and asked them to enter into our lives. And I did conceive again. And it was, I was so happy and just, you know, spoke to that baby, like, please stay, please like, you know, live. And, and that, that pregnancy did continue. I had really difficult, um, nausea and vomiting in that pregnancy, which was super rough. Mm -hmm. I found a midwife that I connected with a single practice midwife and started, um, seeing her and I had cho- I chose not to do any ultrasounds and that pregnancy continued with the nausea and continued to be hard, but I continued to persist and just, you know, think about my living baby and excited for that motherhood part. Mm-hmm. And then when I was six months along, I had some right-sided pain and I wasn't sure what it was, you know, when you're pregnant, I thought maybe it was like round ligament pain, the way people speak about round ligament pain, but then I started having blood in my urine. So I decided to seek medical care and it turned out I had a blocked right ureter, which is like the tube from your kidney to your bladder. And I had also spoken to this woomling and said, like, if you need an ultrasound, let me know kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And after I had been hospitalized and had a stent placed and that whole experience, then, then I decided to have an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And so then I went to have that ultrasound and the tech didn't really say anything. I'd never had an ultrasound before. So I wasn't sure with that experience, what was normal and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. Now I would maybe understand that the way she navigated, it wasn't normal, Mm -hmm. but the doctor came back into the room and told us that our baby did not have kidneys and would not survive outside of my womb. So here I am feeling this baby inside of me, moving, growing, and to then learn that, they wouldn't live. I wouldn't get to mother this baby outside of my womb. So that was a very, you know, 
It was a dark night of the soul. I wailed and made sounds that I have never, not in the office. I was like, okay, I need to get home. And then yeah. I had this huge mm -hmm. breakdown and like blaming my husband, like all the, like everything mm -hmm. fell apart in my mind. And I was like, oh, like I thought Bjorn's death was like my huge death in life. And now like, and I've wanted to be a mother my whole life. And now this is happening. And had those sorts of thoughts and feelings and like, is it my fault? And what did I do? And all these things. And yeah. And there's this feeling too, of once you get past the first trimester that you're like in the clear, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But that's just not, not true. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, they offered that I could induce labor at that point in time. But for me, the choice was clear that I was going to you know, embrace this baby and create experiences with them and love them in honor this womb time that this baby had. And that night that we found out, we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, but we chose the name Hartley for this baby either way. And we had planned on waiting till baby was born to name them, but we decided that it felt good to have a name. So we started calling this baby Hartley and continued on and made real conscious memories for ourselves and with family and oh that's so intense that news yeah yeah and you were six months along you said mm-hmm and so she had a condition called bilateral renal agenesis which is not having either kidney which also means your lungs don't develop their lungs don't develop and mm -hmm. And I continued to plan a home birth and she was also breech. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did birth her after a long labor at home. And she never opened her eyes. She was born alive. Sometimes these baby babies with this condition, because of there's not amniotic fluid, mm -hmm. that their cord gets um, compressed and they don't survive labor and birth. Mm -hmm. She was born at 36 weeks and five days and, um, and was alive just for a few moments. Like I said, never opened her eyes and, you know, died in our arms. And people often ask me, you know, do you wish you wouldn't have known? And I'm actually, I feel like it was very aligned that, I did eventually feel called to have the ultrasound and that I did know, because if, I had had the same birth and not knowing her condition, we would have been trying to resuscitate her and putting her through painful things. Yeah. And this way, yeah. those moments of her life got to be, you know, loving and held and mm -hmm. none of that like panic and chaos. There was obvious grief, overwhelming grief, but not the chaos that might've been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a good point. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so, that's so big for any child, let alone like your first, you know, born. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Uh, so, you know, her grief journey and early grief, it was very, very hard. This like, you know, just had this postpartum body. My, my breasts were making milk. I did pump and donate milk and that felt good for a while. And then I stopped and um, it just, 
it was a hard experience. And like my husband was grieving in different ways and I wanted to keep her, we kept her body for a couple of days at home. And, but after she had died, my husband had a hard time, like witnessing her, her body. Mm -hmm. And we took a trip to the ocean together, which felt good down the Oregon coast. And we sprinkled some of her ashes there and some in the redwood forest. And we still have some of them as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just really honored her life and (sighs) grieved her in all sorts of different ways. And then also looked forward and you know, talk to her about like helping our next, you know, babe come in. And we did open to conception again. And it took several, several months later, I conceived again. Mm-hmm. And so uh, did your cycle return pretty soon then after? Yeah, super yeah. soon. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, five or six weeks after. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, were you pumping and it still returned or like you had pumped just for a little bit and stopped and then it returned? Yeah. I pumped for a couple of, I think a couple of months. I don't exactly remember how long anymore. Yeah. Well, and honestly, after having kids and like, I was exclusively breastfeeding my son who was born next and like so much. He was awake every 30 to 40 minutes nursing every night and like all day. And, and my cycle still returned after six weeks. Wow. My body just is not one of those that like withholds my bleed. Uh-huh. I was wishing and hoping because I have many friends who their blood doesn't return for like a year or more. And I was like, that's so awesome. Especially like when you're postpartum, I have so many other things going on. I would love to not be bleeding. Yeah. And yet it was just like back, just like that. And interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so you got pregnant. You said it was about two months after it was more than that. I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but several months later, yeah, we conceived again. And, and then that pregnancy went forward and I was, um, even though, so my husband and I both had ourselves checked to know that we both had both our kidneys. Cause that's something that some people go through their lives only having one kidney and not knowing. Mm-hmm. And so that was one thing we checked for to know that Hartley was a special anomaly and not to be expected again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if we, you know, if one of us had been missing a kidney, it would be more likely that we would again have a child without kidneys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did choose to have an ultrasound with him to know that he had all of his like the 20 week anatomy scan kind of thing. It was actually at 16 weeks. It was, they told us that was the earliest that we could know mm-hmm. that. And and for me that was like an anxiety stressor and at that point in my life that felt like the right decision so that's what i did mm-hmm. yeah and everything checked out obviously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah i planned how did you support yourself emotionally through this pregnancy um did you have any like outside resources you were utilizing or I, I mean, I have a beautiful group of women that support me in my life, um, sisters 
not all blood sisters, but sisters, cosmic sisters. And I had a um, counselor that I was seeing that was helpful as well. She had experienced a loss of her two-year-old who had like a SIDS is like all they could name it, like an unknown death. And so to have her as my person to talk to felt really aligned and really helped me to like see her further along in her grief and loss journey Mm -hmm. to know that, you know, there is, Mm -hmm. you can be, you know, happy and still remember and love more, love others and still love and remember your children before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So 16 weeks, you get the the thumbs up, everything looks yes. good. Yes. And yet I still hold the deep knowing because at this point I had, um, you know, been with in groups of other moms who had had their babies die as well. And some, you know, were perfectly healthy, had all the anatomy and, you know, at 38 weeks or 40 weeks or whatnot, baby dies. And there is no knowing of why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes there is, but there's no preventing it or, and so even though he had all his parts, I also held the knowing that it actually doesn't mean he's going to live. And I didn't know he was a boy either. Yeah. But yeah. At this point, had you, when you think of that, that there's no way of knowing, is it, are you feeling kind of like numb in a sense where you're like, not, you're having trouble connecting to the pregnancy because babies can die at any time kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Or are you um, able to be beyond that and really enjoy the pregnancy and bond with your baby? Um, How, how is that for you? I definitely still felt bonded and connected um, in some ways, but I think that there was also that part of me that probably withheld, like you're saying, like the fear of the unknowing and not knowing Mm -hmm. was there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So how was the rest of the pregnancy for you? Yeah. His pregnancy was, um, easier than Hartley's was. I wasn't vomiting all the time and that was helpful. Mm-hmm. And I felt, I felt good throughout and, you know, planned a home birth again. And same midwife. Uh, I started with the same midwife and then I changed that midwife. She's still a dear friend of mine, but she was going through some personal stuff in her own life at the time. And the energy match just wasn't wasn't there. And so I shifted to a different midwife. Mm-hmm. The first midwife, is that the one you worked with when you were a birth keeper for four years? Uh, no, but I have attended births with her since, oh, okay. but I was living in a different, that the births I was attending before were in Wenatchee and now I was in Spokane oh, when okay. I was giving birth. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have attended births with her now, but <laughs> at the time I hadn't. Okay. All right. So switched to different midwife who was a better fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Hartley's labor had been a few days long. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of anticipating Odin's might be as well. We didn't know he was a boy. We didn't know his name, but yeah. And so I did go into labor the day after his due date, the day after he was four, 40 weeks, mm-hmm. early in the morning and 
contractions, you know, moved right along. They were gentle. And then when my husband woke up, they intensified and he was, and the labor went really quick and I could not like Hartley's labor, the contractions built slowly. And I felt sort of like in a rhythm with them. Whereas as soon as my husband came out of the room, the contractions like went to this next level of intensity And just like from that point forward, I just could not, I didn't find a groove. And yet then I was like, my water broke and like, I got in the shower trying to see, will this help? And that wasn't helping. I drew a bath and my husband called the midwife Mm -hmm. and I didn't feel like I wanted her to, I didn't feel like I didn't, I thought it would last longer. I thought Mm -hmm. it would be longer, um, but it wasn't. And luckily my husband did call her, call her back again and say, yeah, yeah, you probably should come. And she was like, I was already packing my stuff because probably she could hear me in the background. Yeah. And because my contractions weren't consistent, like, you know, I know you're a midwife. So the little like sheet that is typically given is, you know, if they're three to five minutes apart and in lasting a minute long and increasing in intensity over an hour, you know, mm-hmm. and they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, they were strong. My rebuttal is, or if you need me to come. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, you know, like my water breaks and there's a little bit of blood. My husband like, it's like, there's blood. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. You know, he was, you know, at first trying to fill up the birthing pool. And I was like, no, no, just come back here. And I just like was in our normal bath and was there. And I could feel that it was starting. I was starting to have the urge to push and starting to push. And uh, the midwife walked in and he was born seven minutes later. Oh. So how long was your labor? About um, six hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there, there he was. And, you know, the one thing I'd spoken to this baby was like, please like breathe right away. Like, please just like breathe and scream right away. Give me that reassurance. Yeah. And yeah. And he came out with his hand over his eye, which Oftentimes people say this slows down labor and things, but for him, it wasn't, you know, it was probably why the contractions were inconsistent, Mm -hmm. but you know, he came out anyway and he was breathing and he was crying and he had a short cord, which I feel like there's some like something there, like he had a shorter cord and he's definitely more like that type of kid and more close. Like Whereas my, my daughter who came next had a little longer cord and she's a little more independent. Uh-huh. So I feel like there's a connection there, but yeah, he was so sad. And I was thinking that this baby was going to be a girl. So I was surprised that he was a boy. Um, and yeah, but just so grateful that he was alive and breathing and yeah. What a relief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I meant to ask and forgot to, um, what about your husband in terms of grieving? You know, did he reach for outside resources um, or do you know ways he supported himself? Because I'm sure that's a whole separate experience. You know, he didn't get the chance to feel Hartley moving around inside him and, you know, like his only moments with her were very short because then you said he was kind of distant from her body. So mm-hmm. how was that? And this, the pregnancy after that for him, 
Um, if you yeah know. yeah I mean it's just it was hard for him because he doesn't have that same connection like you're saying he, he didn't feel the same connection that I did to Harley yeah. he still mourned and cried and you know speaks of her mm-hmm. but the the depth of grief wasn't the same for him yeah and continues not to be exactly the same for him, you know, and there were times where we didn't align, you know, and he didn't understand like why I needed to like have pictures up and remember in certain ways that were nurturing and needed for me. Some of those ways were like triggering for him to like see her photo on the wall that that would take him to like a deep, dark place. Whereas for me, it was helpful. So yeah, we definitely yeah, have your went through journey. some challenges there. And yeah, he had his own process and spoke to his, you know, own friends and needed needed his space to also express what he was going through, which was different than what I was going through. And we hadn't known each other that long either. So needing to like support, trying to like support each other. And he didn't really know how to support me in that moment either. And it was just a new experience for us both. But we did each did the best that we could and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. stayed connected did, through did it you, did you yeah always feel like not that you were solid in your relationship but like you did your process he did his did you ever feel the need to do like work together um to you know stay together yeah because I can mm-hmm. picture when a relationship is it doesn't have this solid footing that that can feel really unstable yeah because we just we hadn't been any been through anything you know I mean, losing a child is like probably the biggest thing you can go through, but not even like smaller things we hadn't experienced supporting each other through. Yeah. So it was you hadn't, like you hadn't walked through Ikea together. Or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, abroad, yeah. <laughs> and yes, we did have our like separate things and then also together. And then, you know, now these um, over six years later, it's a whole new path that we walk and, you know, like as a couple and we're out in our community and, you know, when other people are experiencing loss and grief and that we can share our stories, which then help other people yeah. and in our own ways. Okay. Okay. So your son is born. Um, do you remember anything about your placenta and how was nursing and how was the fourth trimester for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Placenta was born easily while I was still in, in the bath. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was a fabulous nurser, loved to be latched, like was the kid who wanted to be latched all night long, which, you know, at the time that felt pretty good to me most of the time, other than the exhaustion that like came into play, but good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And then I'm guessing you started, you, like you said, you started bleeding right away. Yeah. I was like, so bummed. So bummed. Yes, I did. And I was like, you know, people are like, are you nursing? I'm like, yes. Like he's freaking like nursing all night long, all day. Like he's latched all the time. Wow. But yeah, the blood returned. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So then I'm guessing you got pregnant again. And yes, when he was just about a year old, I um, was pregnant again. I So since your cycle returned, was it regular enough for you to do like fertility awareness, you know, or were you 
were you like actively trying not to get pregnant because you still had this tiny baby or were you just open to whatever? Yes. So the cycle was pretty regularly regular. And I do, you know, I note my signs of fertility and things like that. I wasn't taking my temperature and things mm-hmm. like that, but we were aware and like using withdrawal or not having sex during the window in which I was, which I was fertile. Mm-hmm or thought I was fertile. Mm -hmm. And then this other little woomling kind of, you know, snuck in Mm -hmm. and her due date was my birthday, November 20th, which felt, which felt like super aligned. I was just like, and I was a baby conceived on birth control. So I was like, oh, this little spirit is like, just like me and, (laughs) you know, babies do on my birthday. And I was, you know, I had been hoping for a girl and I decided to do the maternal blood test and um, found out that this baby was a girl. Uh-huh. But then I started bleeding at 11 weeks and had an early birth with her. Um, I don't feel like we have time to go fully into her story, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I had that experience and my sister-in-law like was pregnant right around the same time and was also pregnant with a girl that was due like 10 days before me. Mm -hmm. So, so that was a little bit hard. And now, you know, now I feel differently, but at the time it was hard to, you know, see her continue to grow and know that my niece was there who I love and adore. And I'm like, so happy that she's there and that Rachel's pregnant yet also this other aspect of like oh but you know I named that baby Nyla Rose and you know just thinking that Nyla Rose and how neat would have that been to have these cousins born within weeks of each other yeah I know families who have been in this exact situation and you know feeling so torn between the love for this family and child and also their grief over losing theirs their baby who was would have been so close in age yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, you know, and it's interesting people also say things like, you know, it's not going to happen again. Like you're not going to have another miscarriage or another early birth. And yet, you know, I had another couple mm-hmm. early births. So mm-hmm. I did have another early birth after, after Nyla as well. Mm-hmm. And another one. And then I got pregnant. It was like after it was summer solstice. Mm-hmm. And so it was early birth, stillbirth, live baby, early birth, early birth, live baby. Or did I miss something? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I should write this down really because it <laughs> starts to get, there's so many that, yeah. you know, I may, I may misspeak sometimes and mm-hmm. say the wrong number or not yeah. acknowledge them all, but they were all, yeah, you know, important experiences on my, on my journey for sure. Did you name all your children I did not name all of them no Mm -hmm. okay then you got pregnant with your your daughter yes yes um you know I I'm 39 now Mm -hmm. um and yeah my husband's a few years older than me so we were you know I'm like I don't really want to wait longer you know and Mm -hmm. um and we, we were definitely calling in our, our girl, our daughter. 
And I had had this like experience on the summer solstice where I just kind of like cried out to universe and was like, you know, now, you know, I need her now, or maybe we're just going to continue on life with our son. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, she, you know, entered my womb and I was pregnant and was very happy to be. And yeah, she was due at the end of March and um, her pregnancy again, I was really, really nauseous, vomiting, like even worse than with Hartley and like got IV flu. I gave my, I'm an, I'm a registered nurse. I gave myself IV fluids mm-hmm. and well, I'm not working as a registered nurse anymore, but I, I was at the time. Yeah. Was the nausea ever triggering for you? Like a reminder of Hartley's pregnancy? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I definitely like Charlotte's pregnancy became so hard because I also, again, I didn't want to have an, I, I didn't want to have an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. I did do a, the blood test because when my son was born and I was expecting a daughter, I did have this period of like grieving. And with that, like, mm-hmm. even though I love him, I'm so glad he's here, but there was this expectation of a daughter and yeah. So with the loss of the daughter prior, I think, you know, sometimes people, uh, I felt that way anyway. Um, Yes. So because there were some parallels and I was like puking all the time, the way I had been in Hartley's pregnancy, I was like, oh, is this, you know, is it again? Is she okay? Mm -hmm. But there was something in me that felt like she was. Yeah. Cause I was curious how you could have a similar experience and even worse and still not do the ultrasound there if you were like oh my gosh I have to know what if what Mm -hmm, if yeah mm -hmm. I think for me it it did help that she was knowing that she was a girl because then that made me feel that you know I've known other women that with like female babies to male babies their pregnancies are different like that with nausea and vomiting with their girls but not with their boys I was like okay well then you know, maybe that's just a thing for, for me. And when I'm carrying a female in my womb that I have this, feel sick. this hormone levels that I'm like vomiting everywhere, but yeah, it was really bad. Like so bad that my husband even wrote little like notes on the back of the toilet seat, like love notes, <laughs> you know, because I was there so often got me like a, like a kneeboard to put in front oh of, my like, God. in front of yeah. the toilet seat. You're like, this is love. These are the little things that count. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't need big grand gestures, just like the something that shows you're thinking of me and care about me. Yeah. Yes. That's so sweet. Yes. So, so her pregnancy continued on and I um, had reached out to the midwife who was there for Hartley's birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my mind, I always kind of, I still thought that I would probably, um, have a free birth with her or wild birth or whatever phrase. Mm -hmm. I know that there are different like definitions, but yeah. How did you hear about, uh, free birth and into your, it wasn't until after I birthed Odin that that came into my awareness, which again is like, so wild. Like I've been a birth nut for so long and yet I didn't Mm -hmm. even recognize that that was like an option or a possibility. That was same for me. Yeah. It wasn't until after both my children were born that I mm-hmm. even learned about it and went, Oh, of course. Duh. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, reflecting on our son's birth, my husband and I would talk about how, well, and for me, like, I felt like I was, because I had expected her there, I was sort of like nervous or I wanted her to be there because I had expected her to be at the birth. And when like, she was there so close to the end, I didn't really need her there. And also just like, if I hadn't had that kind of like worry in my mind about it, then maybe mm-hmm. if I just had planned to do it on my own, then I wouldn't have been. We could have just sunk into it. And then yes. Yes. And not had that kind of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I also, I had communicated with her that like, if he did need any resuscitation breasts that I wanted to be the one to do it and things like that, I'd taken you know, resuscitation felt super comfortable in that you know, role and knowing that I could help my baby breathe if they needed breath. Mm -hmm. Um, So then as we were planning our daughter's birth, I had decided that I just wanted to plan for it to be me and my husband there and to not have a, you know, medical birth attendant. Was your son present? He was, yes. So we did decide to, and we invited my mother-in-law to be with us. Mm -hmm. So how old is your son at this point when your daughter was born? Yeah, he was like three years and three months when, mm -hmm. so. um, So your mother-in-law was there for him. Yeah, just not knowing, not knowing how he would react to me in labor and birth and things like that. We decided to have her there present, even though I'd watched a bunch of videos with him, just didn't know what he would be like. And if he would actually want to be present, which he did want to be present, but we had her there in case he didn't, that she could be his safe person. Cause I knew I needed Owen with me. Yeah. And I hadn't done photos or hadn't had photos or video of myself birthing before. So I decided this time I did want to have that so I invited a friend to come take photos and another friend to video because you know when you're in the birth realm like for me I just I can't actually remember all the things that happened yeah yeah you know so being able to like witness it via video after and knowing she was also like our last baby so yeah yeah there was that That's super well. important to me too actually I called my photographer before I called my midwife because I was like I can catch the baby I just can't take pictures <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. Yes. It's so special to have mm-hmm. uh-huh and so yeah I continued to grow on with her and her due date was March 20th wait she was born on March 24th her due date was March 16th okay and that was of 2020. So I was like big and pregnant. And then Corona was like yeah. a thing. And it was like, Ooh, and I totally thought she was going to be a Pisces based on like her due date. And then I, and with my son, I gave birth the day after he was 40 weeks. So that was the longest I'd carried. And like her due date came and went. And I was like, she's like, mom, do I really want to come out? <laughs> It's crazy out there. Yeah. I can only imagine, you know, I was feeling these, you know, feelings of the unknown and fear and Mm -hmm. she I'm sure was too. And maybe she just was an Aries. Maybe she would have been born on the 24th, no matter what, like, you know, we'll never know. No. Yeah. But, um, that was an interesting experience and like, and I was sort of ready for her to be born. And when she was, when I was like 40, 40 weeks in like five days or something like that. I, I was kind of trying to like prompt her out 
that she, and like I had contractions for a little while. Like I, cause I could feel, I, I like being able to feel myself. I could feel her little head there. Like my cervix was open enough that I could feel her little head. And I was like, come on. But <laughs> what no, were you doing to um, prompt her out? Oh, just like, well, just like touching her head, oh, you know, see. like I was okay. like internally, you know, kind of like it. felt around her head and my cervix a little bit, which started me in contractions for a while. <laughs> yeah. For several hours. And then they fiddled out because it just wasn't her time. And that's when I really gave over to like trust of just like, okay, you're just going to be born when you are. And I just need to let go and enjoy this time. So, so that's what I did. And yeah. And then I woke up in the early hours of the morning on March 24th and contractions were like hard and uncomfortable right from the beginning. It was just like, yeah, it was around, I think two something in the morning and I went out into the living room. So I wouldn't sort of disturb my husband as I was just trying to like feel into what was happening and tried a bunch of different positions and tried to get into a groove and was kind of saying, you know, like open soft and slow down. And, but like, you know, half an hour later, they were just like still getting stronger and longer and we're not slowing down. She was just like this fiery little bean coming out. So I woke up my husband and he came out and, you know, it was nice to have him, but it didn't really change the experience I was having. I was still having strong, painful contractions mm -hmm. and he called our friends to come and my mother-in-law was with us at the time so she was downstairs and she woke up amongst the happenings and she sort of sat upstairs for a little bit and then I asked her I didn't want to be like observed in that way so I asked her to go downstairs and she did uh, and then I started feeling you know pushy started feeling that was happening and so we had her go wake up my son and she came, he, he came out and, and I sort of, you know, held her head in with my hand for a while. Like ha she was just like pushing and pushing. And it was just like, you know, I was trying to wait for the softening and readiness and, you know, and eventually I, you know, she's like, okay, I just got to let her come. And I took my hand off and her, you know, head came out and, and she turned and then her body came out just like below her nipple. She had the cord kind of behind her neck here. And my like husband, me, yeah, my, but it was preventing her from coming kind of all the way out. My husband sort of helped me hold her up a little bit and I was able to loop the cord over her head and she was birthed the rest of her way and was, you know, bright and vocal and alive. And, you know, we just sat there and cried and loved on her and. Wow. Yes. What did your son think of the experience? How was he during that? Yeah. I mean, I didn't have much awareness. My like knowing of what he was like is mostly from through like the photos and the video. Videos, but he, yeah. he was like right there. And like, he was like right there when she was about to be born. And my husband kind of asked him to back up a little bit. <laughs> like he had his hand like on my leg, you know, like Aww. he was like there, there. Yeah. Super interested. That's so Yes. Cool. Yes. And not disturbed by what was going on at all. Mm -hmm. And I was just so, we were all just so glad she was there and she was alive. And so how, how long was that labor? That labor was like, I think four hours and some odd minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was born a little before six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And then what about your placenta and breastfeeding? Yeah, I had a little pie dish that I had wanted to birth the placenta into. And so, yeah, I birthed on our living room floor and I just kind of like, I still was holding her in my arms and I got up onto my knees and birthed the placenta there. And then people helped me get into bed with her and my husband cleaned off like my bloody feet with a wet washcloth and uh, we did a cord burning ceremony with her which felt good I had bought four like long beeswax candles so myself and Sigrid my mother-in-law and my two friends Clementine and Rakana held the candles and we sang the we all come from the goddess Mm-hmm. and burned her cord do you remember how long it took that separation to separate? maybe five minutes or something like that I've heard that if you only have one candle it can take a really long time I've heard that too we've been using two and it's been about like nine ish minutes so I was curious if four makes it even faster yeah yeah <laughs> okay Cool. Yeah, it's been so beautiful. We recently have been doing that a lot more um, in my practice. And it's, it mm-hmm. feels like such this like closing ceremony of the, mm-hmm. uh, the experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And with my awesome. son, I, I cut the cord. I, I know it's like traditionally in our culture, like the man gets to do the thing, but I'm like, no, like I grew this baby. I grew this placenta. I'm the one that's going to separate it. So I cut his cord. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And then how was she as a nurser? She was also a beautiful nurser. Yeah. Yeah. And she's continues to nurse. And how old is she? She's a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I guess a little over now since her birthday will be again in March. So, so your work as a, a death keeper and a birth keeper, Mm -hmm. um, when have you found time to sprinkle in that kind of work? And um, for anyone listening who is a birth keeper or is interested in death work or um, a parent who has lost or a parent who is just pregnant and this maybe is opening up their I, their mind to considering that, mm-hmm. which might be really hard to hear, just any yeah. Any advice or anything you want to share about your experience around supporting families? And I feel like one of the main things is just to say something and show up and, uh, you know, speak the baby's name or offer the opportunity for the mom or dad or whoever it is to like speak about that child or baby or wombling, you know, where, whoever, however that baby is for them, because we just don't have those opportunities. And like, I have felt in times in my grief that, you know, Hartley's invisible to most of the world. And, you know, I felt like I've carried the weight of having to remember her wanting to remember her. And, Each time that a friend or loved one reaches out and just, you know, maybe sends me just a picture of a heart, but, you know, saying that they're remembering my baby just really means more than I can even express. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Are anniversaries important um, for others to remember? 
um, like maybe her birthday and people reaching out on that day or the day you found out, like, do those days still stick with you? And they do at this point in, in my path, mm -hmm. it does feel good when other people remember as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Would you say the same for your early, um, pregnancy releases? I wouldn't say as much, you know, Nyla, I feel a little more connected to since her, you know, due date was my birthday. And I think of her a little bit more. I carried her longer than some of my other early births. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can, but they've been different at different points in my journey. Like, you know, the remembering feels different at different phases. And when that first six weeks pregnancy, pregnancy was the only pregnancy I had experienced. That one was really important to me, mm -hmm. you know, and not to say that that pregnancy isn't important now, but it just, it's within a different context in my whole mothering path at this point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so much. What a, a life you've lived in such a short amount of time too. How many experiences you've had, you know, yeah, but I statistic like every third pregnancy results in loss in one form mm -hmm. or another. So mm -hmm. it feels like you've been handed, uh, a, you know, more, more than your fair share. Yeah, I mean, there's been moments where I felt that way and been angry at the universe about it. And then at this point in my life, I see it as, you know, these experiences that have enriched my life and helped me to like view my own children, my living children in this new, in this different way that I wouldn't have that same depth or, um, cherishing. Mm -hmm. So like appreciation for life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also the ways that these experiences have also connected me with some really beautiful, amazing women and people in my life that, through friendships or women that I'm supporting that have, you know, are in the depths of these experiences and that I can look at them and say, like, I know what that's like. And I'm so sorry that this is what you're going through and, you know, try and be a light for them to know that they too can move, move through it and continue to remember and love and mother their mother, their babies that are in the spirit realm that I never will stop mothering my babies that are not with me, that I continue to mother them. And so can they. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing all your, your journeys. Um, if there are people listening who want to get in touch with you, um, for one reason or another, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, I have a website. It's www.earthingnova.love. I can send you the link if that's helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, on there I have sistership services for women on their journey from maiden into motherhood. I do virtual services and in-person for people who are local and also grief supportive services and pregnancy after loss. Mm -hmm. And I have a podcast called The Heart of the Soul that they can listen to some of my stories and other people's stories as well. So is that stories of loss? Your podcast? The Heart of the Soul. It's breathing life back into storytelling, stories of birth, life, and death. Oh, great. So really like encompassing it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you again for joining me and, and for sharing your stories. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
Thanks everybody for listening. You can find us at Born Wild Podcast on Instagram. For inquiries or feedback, you can email us at bornwildpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me, Emma Ray, on Instagram at Emma Ray, R-E-A. Sophia at sophiabirth.com. And me, Leah, at Bay Area Home Births. We would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach more people. And as always, stay wild. wild.